Welcome to the Bioethics Podcast, a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. I'm Michael Sleesman, Managing Director and Research Scholar at the Center. In this edition of the Bioethics Podcast, we bring you the first part of a lecture recently given by CBHD consultant on neuroethics, William P. Cheshire, Jr., MD, as a colloquium on the campus of Trinity International University. The lecture is entitled, Will the Next Great Awakening Begin with Caffeine? Cognitive Enhancing Drugs and the Church. We'll just move right into my talk. I have to give you a disclosure. My views don't represent the position of my institution. In fact, my institution doesn't have an official position on which type of caffeinated beverage is best or preferable. And I do have to disclose to you that my pastor uh, very recently bought me an espresso truffle at Starbucks. I don't know whether that's a conflict of interest, but I have to disclose it in the interest of honesty. And I also should confess to you that I am a coffee drinker. I became a coffee drinker at Trinity International University. (laughs) In this building downstairs, when I was a bioethics student in the program here, I discovered in the um, White Horse cafeteria at the cappuccino machine that a cup of cappuccino uh, in the morning allowed me to think clearly which I had not been able to do the first two, three hours of the day throughout my educational career. If I had learned that earlier in my career, I I might have ended up at a place like Trinity. I I had to settle with what I could do. Uh, But um, uh, it's uh, during the bioethics program, uh, actually a a cup of coffee enabled me to sit down and and get work done and, and write some of my class papers before my clinical day began. I couldn't have done that uh, in the past. I was always a very sleepy person in the morning. So I have to disclose that to you. If you turn to the news, and just to press upon you the urgency of this topic, I captured these headlines just from the news this week. A number of bioethics issues going on out there in public discussion. What do you do with these difficult and complex questions? Are eight babies more than enough? Uh, Stem cell issues, face transplants, drugs that erase memories toward a synthetic brain, animal-human clones, nanotechnology controlling DNA. How do we make good ethical decisions about so many complex issues? G.K. Chesterton said that people generally quarrel because they cannot argue. I think we can extend that. Many people either react with gut intuition on ethics issues because they haven't gone through the Trinity program yet, or they just disengage because they can't, because it's too complicated and they can't reason in a disciplined manner. So we need, you've heard a lot in the news about a stimulus package. We need a moral stimulus package for bioethics. How can we get there? Well, maybe the answer is a great awakening. We've had several great awakenings in the history of our country that have really been a boost uh, for the church. Maybe this is what we need to to answer these huge bioethics questions that are confronting us that we don't seem to have enough wisdom to tackle. We've never had these questions before in human history, in fact. A great awakening. Now, while in the Protestant tradition we don't have holy water in general, we do have... and. Joy Riley gave this to me during a trip to Trinity a couple of years ago. Trinity enhanced. Not enhanced for 
spiritually or cognitively, but flavor enhanced. When I looked up this website the other night, I think the company may not be in business anymore. It was a good idea, though, Trinity Enhanced. Just to show you that technology can improve anything. We have the old compass and now the, the, the GPS navigators that you can get for your car. We got my son one of those for Christmas. Can technology improve the brain's moral compass? Can we tinker with that? Can we make it better? Uh, what if we were to wake up the brain uh, with this great awakening that I'm arguing that we need? Uh, could we improve the brain's moral compass? That brings us into the discussion on cognitive enhancing drugs. I could spend an hour just going over what uh, drugs are available and are being developed. Um, as just one example, the drug modafinil that promotes wakefulness. It's used to treat certain sleep disorders. You can take this and stay awake for two, three days at a time and be able to function and not feel sleepy. <clears throat> I don't recommend doing that on a regular basis. I haven't tried it myself, uh, but it's possible increasingly to manipulate what the brain uh, can do to manipulate its cycles, uh, its uh, wakefulness and sleepiness. It's just a matter of neurochemistry, what regulates your, t um, your sleep schedule. So there are drugs that have been developed to treat Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, other drugs that are going to be coming out to improve memory. Um, and the ethical question is, well, uh, once these drugs are available, w should we use them to help cognition in normal, healthy people as well as people with disease? Would that be crossing an ethical line? <clears throat> There's a huge internet industry, billions of dollars uh, spent each year on the uh, neuroceuticals uh, advertised to uh, stimulate thought. <clears throat> There's this uh, drug, uh, Brain Vigor. Uh, there's a Paracetam. You can order Get Smart uh, or Deep Thought. Uh, just a whole host of things <clears throat> that <clears throat> Uh, don't do very much, if anything, frankly. Um, the studies that have been done looking at some of these substance that, substances that are touted as improving brain function uh, have shown that there's, there's little, if any, benefit at all. And yet, uh, these are heavily promoted, and uh, it shows you that there is a large market demand for, uh, su for uh, supplements that might improve your ability to think. Um, there are certain parallels to the tradition of muscular Christianity. This originated in Victorian England, uh, the idea that it's good to have strong and well-exercised bodies uh, in order to uh, be better Christians, um, uh, to, to advance the causes of righteousness. And uh, the YMCA was in this tradition. The invention of basketball and volleyball, in fact, uh, grew out of this tradition of of an athletic form of Christianity. Um, I think the idea of enhancing cognition in order to be better Christians, if I can put that idea out, uh, could be an extension of what, uh, of this tradition, this human aspiration to be stronger, rather, uh, this, uh, not only in, in physically, but also mentally. So the question of cognitive enhancement it's being debated now in medicine and in neurology and in ethics. Uh, once we have these drugs, uh, looking ahead particularly to the more potent, more targeted drugs that are going to be coming around, 
how should we decide whether and how to use them in healthy individuals? There are a number of ethical questions that come up having to do with safety, autonomy, coercion, fairness, uh, and, uh, and many other uh, issues, and we'll go over that. <clears throat> the word enhancement uh, is very positive. It seems to imply something good. Um, but this is, this is the nature of PR, isn't it? Uh, you can, you can, uh, uh, you can uh, spin something to be good or bad just by changing the wording. And um, in the cartoon here, enhanced hairstyling. Oh, that makes it much better, doesn't it? Uh, these are some of the drugs uh, that are used to uh, augment cognition, and we're going to be focusing mo mo mostly on caffeine. And what it does, it, it, like the Internet drugs that I mentioned earlier, is non-prescription, of course, um, and so it's uh, available to everyone. It inhibits adenosine in the brain, in case you ever wanted to know that. Let me ask you, uh, what does caffeine do to blood flow in the brain? if it makes you alert. Uh, think about that, and we'll come back to it. <clears throat> Based on the bioethics headlines alone, the need for more intelligence is too urgent to wait for these powerful prescription drugs to come around. We need to do something now. We need cognitive enhancing drugs to become available for enhancement purposes. Uh, we don't have prescription drugs, but we have caffeine. Uh, caffeine increases alertness, it reduces fatigue, it improves performance on tasks requiring vigilance. What more do you need to know? <clears throat> it has ethical benefits, alertness. In the Christian world, uh, proclaiming the gospel to a sleepy world. If we can wake up the congregation, maybe they will listen. It's cheap. Uh, that's all the more important in a recession when you need a cost-effective form of ministry. It's plentiful, so it gets rid of the uh, dilemmas of distributive justice, the haves and the have-nots. It's awesome. That's an argument, by the way, from ethical emotivism. Uh, and it tastes good, and that's an argument from ethical hedonism. So it satisfies these uh, ethical criteria. <clears throat> it has anticipated benefits for the church. Would enhanced minds better understand the scripture and respond to the gospel? Would enhanced preaching surpassed the eloquence of great orators of the past. Could we have more effective Christian ministry with a little bit of enhancement? As we know, more is always better, right? Um, uh, so with better cognitive capacity, you could have greater retention of Scripture, greater mental bandwidth, greater efficiency in daily work, which means that if you got your work done faster, you'd have more time for worship, Bible study, and Christian fellowship. Doesn't it automatically work that way? <clears throat> um, now, back in the pre-scientific era, uh, Paul, for one, seemed to have a different perspective on this question in 1 Corinthians uh, 2. Um, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. <clears throat> excellence of speech, which might be obtained through an enhancing medication to make him more alert, more sharp, more quick. Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
<laughs> so either this is a pre-scientific and uninformed perspective, or there is more to communication than uh, stimulation. Or perhaps coffiness is next to godliness, uh, because we read in Mark and in Matthew in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus found uh, Simon Peter sleeping. And he says, couldn't you watch one hour, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. If they had only had coffee or perhaps modafinil that night, would they have been able to stay awake and pray more effectively? In Psalm 121, we read, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Staying awake is godly. <clears throat> when I went to this webpage to read about Jonathan Edwards, there was an ad here, Recharge Your Brain, Check Out Coffee Break. So there's a link. There, 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 there appears to be a link here. When I did a search on Google... <clears throat> And I searched Evangelical and Great Awakening. I got 153,000 hits. And then I went back and searched Coffee and Great Awakening, and I got 233,000 hits, almost double the number of hits. There's something happening here with Coffee and Great Awakening. So um, this is why we're talking about this tonight. Um, should we enhance pastors pharmacologically, either with caffeine or with something more, more potent? Suppose that future studies were to show that pastors who consume generous amounts of caffeine are able to meet the needs of more parishioners in less time, greater efficiency, have increased ability to memorize Scripture and reduced rates of misquoting Scripture, greater accuracy, more alertness. And then if that were to be shown, then wouldn't it make sense for churches preferentially to hire enhanced pastors? And those who weren't up to speed, uh, you would have to go somewhere else. Would hospitals then request services from enhanced chaplains? Would this be a better world? <clears throat> would caffeinated and accelerated spiritual counsel be better for parishioners than, than the old slow, sleepy style? So what does caffeine do? Um, this is a study in the current issue of human brain mapping um, and uh, asked you about blood flow. Essentially, what we see in these users of low, moderate, and high caffeine intake versus uh, normal or, or uncaffeinated people, uh, the people with caffeine, this is a map of blood flow in the brain. Uh, the, the people who are drinking more caffeine have less blood flow in the brain. Um, intuitively, you might think that a drug that wakes you up would increase blood flow, but it's the opposite. And then when they had the same group abstain, we see a rebound uh, increase in blood flow here from, the, from those who had uh, consumed a lot of caffeine. And the difference is about 27% across each category. In this chart here, we see uh, low users, that's about one cup of coffee a day or less, uh, moderate users, which is about four cups, uh, and then heavy users, about uh, eight or more cups a day. Uh, it would be interesting to take a poll in the room and, and see what people's caffeine intake is. Uh, so it, it affects blood flow as well. I've put together this chart of how much caffeine is in various uh, beverages. There's just, uh, just a little bit, hardly any, in decaffeinated coffee, and then as, as you get up to the larger sizes of Starbucks, there's a hefty dose. 
um, there. And, and of course, this lecture has no caffeine. Uh, <coughs> true or false? Exam time. Number one. <coughs> 70% uh, of scientists surveyed said they would take a cognitive-enhancing drug if safe. How many say true? How many false? Uh, number two, caffeine has been shown to enhance open-mindedness to persuasion and attitude change. How many say true? How many false? And number three, daily use of 200 milligrams of caffeine by Bible study leaders was associated with a 32% increase in recall of recently memorized scripture verses. How many say true? How many false? I sense some skepticism in the room. Um, the first is true, a study in Nature uh, a couple years ago. Uh, the second is true also, which is very interesting that caffeine, even caffeine, uh, can affect your attitude toward receiving information. Um, I don't know what implications that has, but it just shows you how uh, there's a lot about the brain that, uh, that we don't understand. And, and, uh, and how would this affect one's receptiveness to the gospel, say, in a setting where caffeine was served versus a setting where it wasn't? I mean, I think we would... We, we would say, well, if in a setting where there's alcohol versus not, that might affect your ability to receive and weigh and judge uh, information presented, but possibly caffeine too. Who knows? Uh, the, the third one actually is false, and that's because it hasn't been tested to my knowledge, but, but it sounds plausible, doesn't it? Caffeine and culture. <coughs> this saying was posted on the door of Starbucks uh, last year, proposal for a well-lived day. The best days go fastest. Keep up. <clears throat> I couldn't find a parallel in scripture, uh, but uh, maybe, maybe I didn't know where to look. Um, keep up. Speaking of keeping up, I found it very interesting that the problem of air flight, I, I flew in uh, today, it's remarkable that such a heavy uh, airplane can, it, it can, can lift up in a thin atmosphere and, and everyone is held up in the air and it's, it doesn't all crash, um, but uh, it's, it's remarkable. Orville Wright solved the problem one night when he couldn't sleep because he lay awake, he drank too much coffee. This was in 1902, according to this biography. Uh, he had too much coffee and lay awake thinking about the the design of the vertical tail, and he solved the problem. Uh, he presented his results to his brother the next morning, and they solved the critical problem that allowed them to fly. So at, at the invention of air flight, coffee was there. Uh, coffee originated in Ethiopia, <coughs> a country I'd like to visit someday. Um, uh, there's a controversy, well, it might have been in Yemen, just on the other side of the water. Not quite sure, but it originated in that part of the world, which makes me wonder when I read First Kings and the Queen of Sheba, who came from that part of Africa and visited Solomon, might she have brought coffee among the gifts that she brought? Because the Bible tells us that when the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. 
When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. She gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. Spices. What spices from Ethiopia? Coffee is aromatic. Could she have brought coffee? Never again did such abundance of spices come in, says Scripture, as that which the Queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Now, what do we know about Solomon at that point in history? He was the wisest man who ever lived, right? Could his wisdom, could his wisdom have resulted from the caffeine that the Queen of Sheba brought as a gift? Interesting question. So, was coffee there on the, on the throne of Solomon? <coughs> Is this the, the origin of wisdom that we've been looking for? Well, actually, that theory falls apart. Um, the cultivation of coffee, as far as we know, began much later in the 6th century A.D., in fact, and it didn't become widespread until the 15th century. So we have no reason to believe that coffee was uh, cultivated back in the time of Solomon, or perhaps Solomon kept it a secret. <clears throat> but more than that, we know also from reading First Kings that it was God who gave Solomon wisdom, uh, not, not caffeine. Uh, an exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. It was God rather than pharmacologic enhancement that gave him his wisdom. Looking further in the timeline of caffeine, it was in around the year 1600 that coffee was introduced into Europe from the Muslim world. It was a favorite beverage in the Muslim world at that time. It came into Europe. And, um, you know, the advisors to the Pope, according to legend, I don't know if this is true, but the legends out there, Pope Clement VIII was on the throne, and um, his advisors uh, were very concerned that this Muslim brew, or this brew of Satan, they called it, um, was entering into Europe, um, you know, um, but the Pope was won over by the rich aroma of the coffee grounds, and he tasted it and decided that it was too good to leave to the infidels, and instead of banning it, as they had advised him, he baptized it as an acceptable Christian beverage. So in case anyone was concerned about that, this is an unofficial legend. But then came the Reformation, a major turning point in church history because of Bach's coffee cantata. Now coffee is entering into the Protestant tradition. Um, sweet, how sweet the coffee's taste is, sweeter than a thousand kisses. Bach also directed the Collegium Musicum, which met each Friday at Zimmermann's Coffee House in Leipzig. <clears throat> so we have a rich tradition of caffeine in the Protestant line as well. In the history of Christianity, coffee was there. Also tea. Uh, in fact, we have Earl Grey tea, still a, a favorite, uh, favorite of mine, and Earl Grey was the British Prime Minister uh, responsible for the act abolishing the African slave trade. This can of Wilberforce tea, uh, I put that together, that doesn't really exist. But. 
We also have evidence of caffeine in the world of C.S. Lewis, and surprised by joy, Lewis tells us, if a good cup of tea or coffee could be brought me about 11, so much the better. So the brilliance of his writings, uh, we have to thank partly uh, the caffeine that stimulated his mind and enabled him to write with wit uh, and depth of understanding. And then on this side of the Atlantic, Martin Luther King, Jr. awoke, um, I'm reading an excerpt of his biography by Adam Wolfson. Awakened by the ringing of the phone one night in the midst of the Montgomery bus boycott, King picked up the receiver and was met by a barrage of racial abuse. It concluded with a death threat. Unable to fall back to sleep, King went to the kitchen to fix a cup of coffee, but still he found no respite. I had reached the saturation point, he later recalled. He tried to think up ways to escape the spotlight without being branded a coward. What happened next, however, had a, li a lifelong effect on him. Continuing, <clears throat> I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I will never forget it. I prayed a prayer and I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause that we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. And it seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. And, and that moving prayer was with a cup of coffee in his hand. So I'm asking, is there something to this coffee that we need to take advantage of for the next great awakening? Um, and I found that you can, you can buy on the internet coffee mugs for every conceivable theological taste. Jonathan Edwards is my homeboy coffee cup. And the Martin Luther cup, here I stand, I can do no other. We're all set, um, and uh, after the lecture, there'll be a table out in front. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, and at this uh, website, cafepress.com, you can find whatever great awakener you like on a cup of coffee. They have one for Calvin. Uh, for, for I mean, you, you, it's, uh, the, the market potential is endless. There are also a number of Christian coffee houses out there, and uh, one of them I used in my title slide. And uh, here we go, an article here uh, on Christian coffee houses. They've brewed up as part of youth programs, outreach programs, and even as standalone businesses. Live music can be found in a family atmosphere where no alcohol or smoking is allowed. Uh, many coffee houses offer Bible study or prayer time. This was actually one of the social changes in Europe when uh, coffee uh, entered uh, Europe in uh, the Renaissance. Uh, a time it replaced the cultural tradition of the alehouse, and so the habit of drinking alcohol was was replaced by by drinking coffee. We have coffee evangelism. One of my Starbucks cups a few years ago had a, a quote from Rick Warren uh, saying, "You are not an accident. Uh, but, uh, you're here because God has a purpose in your life." Amazing. So we have coffee as a vehicle for evangelism. It's starting to come together now. By the way, these are two institutions near my house. This is the place I go every morning. Um, it's usually dark then, and then this is another place serving alcohol where 
the sign this particular week said embrace delirium. I, I sense a cultural change, a, a difference, a cultural difference between these two um, institutions. The Great Awakenings Coffee House is one example. This is in Glen Falls, New York. I haven't been there, but their website says something very intriguing. I wonder what you think of this. Our mission is to provide an atmosphere that is neutral in doctrine. What would Bonhoeffer say? I think he would have called that cheap taste. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said for putting aside doctrinal differences, but, uh, but if, if coffee is leading us to, uh, to a place where uh, there is no doctrinal difference, then that, that's a different matter. So cheap, the, the dangers of cheap taste, I just put that up to as a word of caution. That was the introduction to Will the Next Great Awakening Begin with Caffeine, Cognitive Enhancing Drugs, and the Church by William P. Cheshire, Jr., M.D. Dr. Cheshire is consultant on neuroethics for the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity and associate professor of neurology at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. The views expressed herein are Dr. Cheshire's and do not necessarily reflect the positions of Mayo Clinic or Mayo Foundation USA. This lecture was originally delivered at a colloquium on the campus of Trinity International University on February 19, 2009. A print version of the bibliography for this presentation is available on our website at www.cbhd.org. The Bioethics Podcast is a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. The Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, exploring the nexus of biomedicine, biotechnology, and our common humanity. Our website, cbhd.org, has a wealth of materials on a wide range of bioethical issues. For more information about the Center, and to support the work of the Center and projects like this podcast, please visit our website at cbhd.org. My name is Michael Sleesman, and I'm the Managing Director and Research Scholar of the Center. Thank you for listening to the Bioethics Podcast. <laughs>